you would go ahead and, and please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. We're returning there this week with a tale of two mediators. Uh, again, this chapter is, is so big, I can't really read it now and then go back through as we study. And so um, we will just be taking it piece by piece. And even as you turn there, I'm, I'm going to um, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, would you please help us by your grace to either learn something entirely new or God to find it more beautiful than we ever have before and to hold on to it tightly, God. Lord, help us to see your grace, your goodness, your kindness, your provision for us. And I pray that you do that through your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you recognize, like really feel the fact that you are a leader, that, that you uh, have influence over the, the decisions others make and, and the direction of their lives? Uh, I, I kind of want to prove that to you um, in a couple ways. Uh, first, I want to mention, like, just kind of look around the room. Look around the room. Look at our clothing like, where did that come from? Why did we all decide to dress pretty similar today? Like, we might be, you know, some slightly, you know, more fancy, some less, you know. But, like, in general, we're, none of us come, are coming in here in tribal gear, like wearing, you know, uh, a hula skirt. or Like, we're, we've all been influenced by, by other people. And, and so we, we all have, whether or not we even realize it, followed the lead of others. What we see them wearing, what we think looks good on them, you know. Uh, whatever, however you want to think about that. So that's, that's one part that we're all kind of, that we're followers. Uh, but I want to prove to you that we are all leaders, that we all have influence on others as well. Um, and this was just the, the most basic uh, example I could think of. Um, you guys know I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And it is so interesting to notice how a four-year-old can influence the decisions of a two-year-old. I, I highly doubt my four-year-old. I don't want to say their names because they'll recognize, Daddy's talking about me. Um, you know, but my, my four-year-old can, can do something and then my, my two-year-old repeat it right, right after. And of course, this is not usually when they're doing the best of things. And I say, four-year-old, <laughs> your brother is watching you. Don't you notice that your brother is watching you? He did the exact same thing you did. And so you need to be careful. People are, are watching you. And, you know, I even think from the two-year-old, he influences me. I want to be as cool as him one day. Um, so, like, we, we all have an influence. Like, no matter what you think about yourself, you might say, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm not some great mediator set up by God, to, you know, between God and man. Uh, but you have influence. Now, that's, that's one principle I wanted to mention, uh, and that is just woven into the fabric of this world uh, that, that we will all follow others and we all have influence. But the next principle that we are going to see highlighted here in Exodus chapter 32 is this. Who you follow determines how you will lead others. Who you follow who you allow to influence you, have authority over you, uh, affect your decision-making, who you follow will determine how you lead and the direction 
others will go behind you. This is a huge principle really in the Bible when we think about leadership, that, that, that one leader can, can go one way or another, and that generally, generally decides the direction all those following their influence will go. And so this is the, this main overarching principle that I want to show us today from God's Word. And of course, we will uh, have, have some great gospel resolution to it all, uh, but I want to show you this. In, in Exodus chapter 32, there is a clear comparison and contrast going on between Aaron, who, who, who's been set up to, to lead uh, the Israelites, and Moses, who has been set up uh, by God to lead the Israelites. They are both to be mediators between God and man, man to God, and to help the people of Israel walk with God in faithfulness. But here is what we see. We got to start with who they follow in order to see uh, what direction they are going to go. And so this is number one um, in your notes if you're, if you're following along there in the, the big sheet. Number one, Aaron follows people. Moses follows God. Aaron, Aaron follows people. Moses follows God. Now, I do just want to remind you, Exodus 32, in context, um, the, the Aaron, as well as uh, 70 other leaders, had come up. They had seen the glory of God. They ate in God's presence, and that was a covenant ceremonial meal that they shared there. But then God has Moses stay up on the mountain, so he sends the rest back down. But before sending them down, he, he basically sets Aaron in charge. Like, the people will look to you. They will bring their concerns, their matters to you. Aaron, watch over the Israelites while I'm up here on the mountain. They are to look for him, to him for direction. He is to guide them in faithfulness and obedience. But what we see is Aaron follows people. We see this uh, just in those first uh, few verses and I'm, I'm even just uh, giving you a summary here. Uh, verses 1 and 4, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make, go make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. But then we come to verse 4. I, I, I paused it there for a reason. I just remembered Aaron is in authority over uh, the, the Israelites, the people of Israel. But what do we see there? Twice we see uh, the people saw that Moses was delayed. So the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make gods for us. I'm like, That's a startling way, by the way, to start a sentence. Um, it, is, it is like unusual in the Hebrew language to just start with a command but that's what we see ha happening here is the Israelites are giving Aaron a command. And it is, of course, a, a sinful command. But, of course, Aaron, he's, he's supposed to guide them. He's to lead them. He's, you know, if he's following God, he wouldn't give in to this sinful command of, of those who are under his leadership. But then verse 4, And Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Aaron, who is to lead Israel, to have an influence on Israel, number one, he's taking commands from uh, Israel rather than giving them and, and at least correcting them. 
But number two, he obeys man rather than God. He takes his influence from the crowd, from the culture, from the people around him, rather than saying, now I see that you guys want this, but I know what God has said. Like this is the Ten Commandments. Like this is very clear. We actually all heard him say it from the mountain, uh, that we shall have no other gods before him, that we shall not make any graven uh, idols and bow down to them. So no, I I can't do that. I, I have to obey God, not man. But that's not what we see Aaron do. He, I mean, this is, this is one of his first leadership tasks, and he misses it entirely. He lets the, the people he's leading lead him, and he obeys man instead of God. But we see this contrasted again in Moses, uh, <clears throat> Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down. You see how it started with a command again, by the way? That's what I'm saying. It's that we're supposed to see the contrast. The people said, up, make us gods, these commands. God says, go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And so Moses goes down, and then uh, verse 19 and 20, it says, As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So two quite different responses because Moses is following God. He's obeying God. Your people are are, uh, doing great wickedness. They have corrupted themselves. Go down there. So Moses goes down. And not only that, instead of uh, permitting or, or even partaking like Aaron did in this great sin, he restrains it. He seeks to restrain it. I mean, he literally takes this golden calf, uh, burns it in fire, grinds it into powder, and then scatters it on water and says, drink that water now. Um, it's kind of putting a dog's face anyway. Um, you get the idea. When you're potty training a dog, that's not the best way to do it. You put, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get off that. Um, that, that's kind of though what Moses is doing. He's like, drink your shame, taste the bitterness of what you have done. I mean, this is such a heavy contrast from Aaron. Aaron just takes their command, okay, I guess I need to. And he not only permits their sin, he takes part in their sin. Moses obeys God and he comes down and says, what are you guys doing? He gets rid, like right then he, ta- he, gets, he destroys this golden calf that Aaron has made, that they are worshiping, he destroys it and makes them drink the bitter waters that he spreads its uh, ashes on, I guess you could say. This is very different. Moses is clearly following God while Aaron is following people. And this is where these two paths go uh, wildly different directions in this passage. These two men, because one is following God and one is following people, lead in very different ways. And so these are the things I want to show you now, uh, sort of what happens with their leadership, the sort of leadership they now uh, express. So here's the next thing that we'll see, the next principle. There's so many more that I could uh, show you, but these are the ones that, that really stuck out to me. The next thing we see is Aaron defames God's reputation, but Moses defends 
God's reputation. That is, God's name, his honor, what the world around thinks of God. Aaron defames it, dishonors God's reputation amongst the people, while Moses seeks to defend God's reputation. Now we think about this, any time we rebel against God, especially when it's, it's done publicly, it is defaming God's name. It's dishonoring God's holy reputation. It's, it's to say, okay, God said this, but God is not worthy of my worship. God is not worthy of my obedience and honor. And it therefore dishonors, dis- defames God. And, and, but this is explicitly, I'm not just you know, making a conjecture there, this is explicitly what we see happen with Aaron. This is uh, verse 25. Somehow I might have missed it. Let's see here. Oh, there we go. We got it. All right, verse 25. Uh, And this is just a a part of a sentence, but we just need to notice the little um, interjection here. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, that's the people of Israel, they'd broken loose, they'd lost all restraint, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. So derision is just another word for the mocking. The, it's actually, the, the root of it is whispers. They, 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 can you believe what they did? I can't believe they, you know, I thought their God was supposed to be great. Their God just delivered them from Egypt. God has said, I am the one true God above all other gods. And now they have turned from God. Now they are publicly sinning. I don't know if you remember that. They rose up to play. That was public sexual immorality that they're engaging in. And, and the nations are seeing this. The nations, their enemies, take notice. I don't know, by the way, how their enemies saw this. I, I doubt that just like every enemy is just like encamped around them looking at them with binoculars. Uh, but there were, there were you know, messengers, there are uh, spies, you could say, that are, that are watching uh, their enemies. And so they see this, they report it back, and it was causing whispers about God. That God that we've heard so much about, he, he evidently is not so great. His people sure don't think so. They're already bowing down to this calf idol, and now they're doing this public sexual immorality. Aaron's actions, Aaron's leadership explicitly, Aaron had let them break loose to the derision, to the mocking of their enemies. Aaron has made a mockery of God. But With Moses, we see the exact opposite. Not only do his actions not defame God, Moses will do everything in his power and in his wisdom to defend God's honor before the watching world. Well, we see this in a couple of places. Again, I could show you more of these, uh, but but these are what I want to look at now. Let's see, I think I, oh my, did I do that? I may have done that. Well, you can look... (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Douglas. You can, you can look at Exodus 32, 9 through 10. I'm just going to start making flashcards instead of messing with this clicker. Um, so Exodus 32, 9 through 10, this is Moses uh, protecting the, the, the honor of God, defending the honor and reputation of God. So uh, verse 9, look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, or leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great 
nation of you. So what has God just said? He says, Moses, the people have, have gone uh, into to great wickedness. Now leave me alone. I'm going to consume them. I'm going to utterly destroy Israel. But don't worry, Moses, I got you. I'm going to make this great nation out of you. I'm going to give the promised land to your descendants now. This is what I'm going to do. Now, at this point, we think about Aaron and his uh, pattern so far. How would he have handled that? I think Aaron, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I don't want to think too badly of the guy. But I, I think he'd have said something like, oh, well, that sounds cool. Like the whole nation will be like, I will be the father, kind of like Abraham was the, the father uh, of, of, of this great nation. Like I will get to be uh, the, the head patriarch. But that is, again, not how Moses responds. He wants to protect his people. And, and we're going to see this in verses 11 and 12. But what I want you to notice is Moses' argument for why God should not destroy the people. Moses' argument is uh, anything but a selfish one. Let's see if, uh, if this gets me where I need to be. Oh, you got me <laughs> correcting me. I'm sorry, guys. All right, uh, verses 11 and 12. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, here's his argument. O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Do you see Moses' argument there? Mo Moses is saying, God, if you destroy Israel now, even if you keep me around, the Egyptians who you have just shown your glory to, you have revealed your, your amazing uh, power and and." Wisdom, you, you've revealed all these things, but now they're going to say, yeah, but God's cruel. He just brought them out of Egypt so that he could destroy them himself. That's what he's saying there. Uh, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? And Moses does a similar thing with the, the promises here. He's like, well, they know about these promises, but I, I got to keep going but this is, this is his idea, is, is God, if you do this, I don't know everything, but it sure seems like it's going to look bad to the people around us. This will almost certainly hurt your reputation, God. That's Moses' argument. Now, again, we could say more in that, that passage, but you, you're just getting the general feel for, for what Moses is trying to do. But we even see this uh, in another place. So this is picking up um, in verse 25 to 28, uh, 25 to 28, this is picking up to where we saw that uh, Aaron is, is uh, defaming God's glory, but we will see how Moses defends it in that very same context. So verse 25, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them, let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. And by the way, Moses wrote the book of Exodus. So like, this is what he is seeing. Then, then, once he sees that this is happening to the mockery of God, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, 
and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Do you, do you see the connection there? Moses inserts that, that this is happening to the mockery of God, to the derision of their enemies. And because of that, Moses takes a stand. Now, I want you to, to, to like throw something out there because you probably say, what? He has them kill uh, fellow Israelites? Yes. And it, was that unjust of Moses? Was that unjust of God? No. We know clearly uh, from, I want to say it's, uh, I should have had it. Um, was it I think it's uh, chapter 22. No, uh, yeah, chapter 22, verse 20, Exodus 22, uh, 20. Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. This was in the law of Moses. So when God says, I'm going to destroy Israel, he's actually just following the law he gave them. And so Moses saying, guys, strap on your swords, go through the camp and just kill people. They've been worshiping this other, this, this calf, this image. Moses is obeying the law of God. This is perfectly just. The punishment fits the crime according to God's law. And I would actually say this. It was merciful that only 3,000 fell that day. All of them were supposed to be devoted to destruction. All of them. But I want to remind us where we're coming from. Aaron's actions are leading to God's defaming among the nations. Moses takes a stand, hard as it would be to do, to defend God's honor, to defend God's reputation. This is what Moses does. And so the 3,000 fall and Moses goes back to talk to the Lord to see what he should do with the rest. Do they, do they all get devoted to destruction? Or, 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 or is there something else that can happen? And so, this is the next and most stark contrast that we will see between Aaron and Moses. And I would say this is without a doubt the most beautiful, at least on Moses' side. And so this is number three in your notes. This, this difference. Moses is following God, so he goes one direction. Aaron's following the people, so he goes another direction. Here's what we see. Number three. Aaron uses others to protect himself. Moses offers himself to protect others. This is a very different leadership strategy that we see uh, between these two men. We start again with the ugly reality of Aaron's leadership. Moses is going to confront him and we will see how he responds uh, Exodus 32, 21 to 24. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before the, for us. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. So there are a couple things going on there, but the main one I want to point out is Aaron takes 
exactly zero responsibility for what's happened here. Aaron took zero responsibility. Moses, you know the people. You know that they are set on evil. They are the ones who said to me, make this God. Moses, all I did was receive the gold from them. There's nothing wrong with that, right? All I did was throw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. I'm I'm innocent here. It was the Israelites. And we've already talked about what a uh, dumb lie that is. But this this is what he's doing. He is removing himself from all responsibility and he is throwing the people under the bus. They are the ones who have done this. I I couldn't have helped it if I'd have tried. What we see here is that, number one, Moses just doesn't even answer that, by the way. But then we see how Moses uh, talks to God about this. How Moses acts about this. You remember they have slaughtered 3,000 of the men. Exodus goes back up. This is uh, verses 30 to 32. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Atonement, by the way, is is to appease anger, to appease wrath, to satisfy uh, vengeance. Perhaps I can make atonement. Perhaps I can satisfy the wrath of God. You say, well, how is he going to do that? Verse 31, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. This is how Moses went to make atonement. This is how Moses was going to appease the wrath of God. Not by saying, God, they did it. Punish them. I mean, that would have been perfectly fitting, right? Aaron did it and says it was was all them. Moses, however, doesn't say, God, just pour it all out on them. Moses says, I want to make atonement. And the way he does that, it says, if you can't forgive them, if you can't find a way to, to, to let this go in a sense, then blot me out instead. Blot me out of the book of life. Put the punishment that they deserve on me. I will take it instead of them. This is pretty profound when you think about the fact that God is saying, hey, I'm going to wipe them all out and make this kingdom, this nation out of you. And Moses Instead of throwing the people under the bus, which it wouldn't have even been throwing them under the bus, they, they did it. Moses says, no, I am going to get in front of the bus. Instead of making a leader out of me, why don't you blot me out so that they can live, so that your promises can be fulfilled to them. I mean, this is unbelievable compassion on Moses' part. This is unbelievable humility to say, I am willing to take the blame for what they have done. Aaron won't take the blame even for what he did, much less for the the whole group of people, but I am willing to take their blame upon myself. This is undeniable love. Now we see, I just want to summarize quickly on that. This is a mediator, a leader of a different sort. Moses follows God's lead, 
obeying no matter what. Moses is concerned with God's glory and God's reputation rather than defaming it. And Moses loves God and his people so much that he offers himself that they might go free. Now, I hope some of that, that <laughs> wording is sounding familiar to you. And if it sounds familiar, I think that is on purpose because I, I do believe that Jesus is, is the perfect example. The, the, he's not an example. He is the perfect uh, archetype of what Moses is doing here. And this is something I want to show you. What, what we see here happening between Aaron and Moses isn't just an isolated event of two mediators. They are representative of two categories, two types, two qualities of mediators and leaders in this world that have been there and will be there until God makes this whole world right. And so I want to show you this. Number four, Aaron points to Adam and Moses points to Christ. This is what we who do have uh, both the Old and New Testament are supposed to see in this story. Moses is representing a whole new order of leader in contrast to the old, broken, fallen, twisted leader that's represented by Adam. I, I want to show you this. I I'll be very quick on this. But I want to I remind you of some things. And by the way, if this is uh, not a part of Genesis that you are familiar with, so I want to point you back to Adam, then I, I recommend you read Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, because I'm just going to summarize these things. So I want to show you how similar Aaron is to Adam and his original failure. First, just like Aaron failed to protect but permitted and actually took part in sin, so did Adam in Genesis 3. Uh, again, I don't want to go into to all of this, but Adam was there the whole time. When, when Eve is being tempted by the serpent, by the way, the serpent is a beast, an animal, and mankind has been given dominion over the animals, so they're letting the beast tell them what to do, just like the Israelites told Aaron what to do. And then Adam, instead of speaking up, and protecting his wife, saying, no, that's not right, that God commanded us not to eat of that, we should not do it, there's, there's no, why would we even think of this? He just stands there and lets Eve eat. And not only does he eat, or sorry, not only does he let her eat, he partakes of it as well. Just like Aaron not only said, you guys do what you want, you know, worship whatever gods you want, Aaron actually makes the calf for them. And I assume he was a part of the worship and, and all of that of this uh, calf. It, it's a picture of what Adam did uh, right at the beginning when the fall occurred. Adam failed to lead and not only failed to lead, but he dove into the sin himself. Second, like Aaron, rather than being concerned with the glory of God, Adam tries to hide the sin and even hide himself. Uh, again, I, I don't want to go too far into this. Uh, but they recognize that they are naked, so they, okay, we'll just sew fig leaves together and cover ourselves. Then they hear God coming, and so they hide. Not worried about what, what anyone thinks of God, about God's glory, God's reputation. He just hides. Third, just like Aaron, Adam threw Eve under the bus to protect himself. 
Aaron says, those people, well, he's just copying Adam. This is what Adam had done. Uh, Genesis 3, verses 9 through 12. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Because they're hiding. And he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. I mean, do you see how Aaron is just following his, his, his sinful father, Adam? There, there's such a, a family resemblance here. It's startling. Adam's saying, oh, I, I, I ate, but the woman, the woman who you gave me, by the way, the woman, she gave me the fruit and I ate. I mean, that's just like Aaron saying, I just received the gold. I threw it in the fire. Out came this calf. Adam's saying, I don't know. She just hands me a piece of fruit. I eat it, you know. All of a sudden, I know I'm naked and, and I go hiding from you. Like, Adam is, is throwing Eve under the bus instead of taking responsibility for his own sin, standing up and trying to protect her. Yes, Eve did wrong. Yes, Eve should not have been tempted. She should not have eaten herself. She should not have handed the fruit to Adam. But Adam was there. Adam should have spoke up when he was silent. And Adam should not have eaten it himself. But he fails to take responsibility. He throws Eve under the, the bus. And so there's this pattern in the Bible. And we can see this other places in the Bible uh, as well after, after Adam. But with, with Moses and with Jesus, we see the opposite category, a new category, a redeemed category of this mediation, of this leadership. And so I want to show you this in Jesus as well to remind you how Moses is pointing to, to Jesus and what he would one day do. First, Jesus followed God and exhorted people away from sin. So Moses, he, he followed God and he exhorted people away from sin. That is exactly what Jesus will do. Jesus will perfectly obey God's authority. He will take all of his influence from God, not from men, no matter how much pressure they put on Jesus, by the way. He will perfectly obey God's authority, and then he will call people to turn from their sin and to God. Repent, he would say. Turn. Jesus is trying, um, following God and exhorting people away from sin. Secondly, Jesus was chiefly concerned with the glory of God. And he lived in such a way that God would be glorified, not defamed like Aaron and like Adam. In John 17, just before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he prayed this. <clears throat> it says, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that's Jesus, that the son may glorify you. Jesus is concerned with glorifying God the Father. This is his chief concern. But of course, we know that that greatest and most beautiful parallel, Jesus took the punishment of his sinful people upon himself. Rather than throwing us humans under the bus, Jesus gets in front of the bus for us. He absorbs the blow. I see one verse that, that puts this uh, very well. Oops, I have no idea how I do it. No? 
what do I have there? Yep. All right, that's what I wanted. Uh, Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. This puts it so well how Jesus took this punishment of his people upon himself, just like Moses was offering to do. It says this, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is what Jesus did. He died for ungodly people. Just as Moses says, God, if you can't forgive them, blot me out. What, what, what Moses offered, Jesus accomplishes. Jesus fulfills it. He says, yes, I, I, I will take the punishment. And God says, I'll give you the punishment that these people may go free. This is a beautiful reality and, and one that I think we should, we should take more time in our lives, in our devotions, when we're struggling to recognize that, that Christ is the one who, instead of throwing us under the bus, instead of shunning us, instead of turning his back on us, says, no, I'll take it. I will take the punishment so that you can go free that you can be forgiven, so that you can have new life. This is the type of leader that Jesus is. And I, I want to kind of think about that principle for a moment, that when you lead well, because Jesus is following God the Father, and he, he's leading well, and so he has this incredible impact on those who come behind him. Just like Aaron had an incredibly bad impact on those behind him, and Adam had an incredibly bad impact on those behind him, Jesus will have an amazing impact on those who will follow him. And so I, I, I do ask you, who, who, are, who are you following? Jesus has done this. He has set himself up as this this great, God-glorifying, obedient, sacrificial leader, one who gives himself for you, are you following him? Are, are you trusting in him? Have you given him your, 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 your faith, you could say, to say, I rely on you rather than on myself, my righteousness. I, I turn to you because everything else is going to flow from that. Because who you follow determines how you will lead. It determines how you will live. And so one way of, of recognizing whether or not you're actually following Jesus is, is by how you're, you're leading, how you're, you're living. And so I, I would ask you this. <clears throat> are, are you approving and even joining the sin of the world? Or do, you, or do you take your orders from Jesus? Jesus says, those who love me will obey my commandments. This isn't to earn salvation. This is because we have been saved. We no longer walk the path that the world walks. Are you walking in obedience? Are you concerned with the glory of God? Do you, do you even realize, you know, do I realize that, that what I do has an effect on what people think about my God. The way I talk, the way I conduct myself, the way I treat others, the things I engage in. Are we worried about the glory of God, concerned 
that his name be defended and magnified, that is shown to be as great as he really is. And, and I would say this, finally, on this how are you leading thing, you and I cannot make the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus did. We can't do it. Like We, we can't take the punishment of, of our neighbors upon ourselves before God. We can't you know, do that for our children. We can't do that for co-workers. We can't do that. But what we can do and what we have been told to do is to point them to the one who has taken that punishment. I love how uh, Paul puts it in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to end here before we go into communion. I want us to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and then how now we should live because what Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I want to point that out. He's, he's part of the new order of things. Like, like Moses was a part of the new order. Like Jesus is the new order, this new type of leadership, this new obedience to God. If anyone is, Christ, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And what is that message? What is that message that we're supposed to be sharing, be an ambassador of as we follow Christ's lead and lead others? Here's the message, verse 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, Jesus put himself in front of the bus that we might be saved. That, that is the message that we are to share with others because we're following Christ's leadership. We've become new with Christ. This isn't something that we muster up within ourselves. And then we have been given leadership, right? God gave Moses leadership. God gave Aaron leadership. And they used it in different ways. And we are to use our leadership as ambassadors for Christ, imploring people to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, through his substitutionary sacrifice, the free offer of forgiveness and new life. That is how we live because of how Christ lived. And this is the principle that was uh, foreshadowed in Moses, fulfilled in Christ, and now being carried out in our lives. Let's, let's go to prayer before we come to communion. Father God, we thank you uh, for this almost tangible picture of what Christ did for 